is Dino Dan from Cypress, California, and you're watching the Barbecue Central Show. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is a show that talks about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolous show. If you want to get in contact with the show this evening, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQCentralShow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter coming up at about 12 to 13 minutes from now. It's the second Tuesday of a month. And in that coveted 14 past the hour segment, we will be joined by first time guest. Of course, I'm just kidding. Joined by 16 year guest Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Last month, I received a number of complimentary emails talking about the subject matter of combustion and how people were riveted on the edge of their seats. If you can believe it, with this subject matter. On the edge of their seat, hanging on Meathead's every word, winced, ta- winced, talking about combustion and all the things that go into it. And as we were getting through that, the sector of charcoal came up. And after we spoke about it, perhaps even side or casually mentioned it during the segment last month, this could be a segment all on its own. So I made sure that we captured that, put it back into the outline. And tonight, Meathead and I will be talking all about charcoal. I'm sure he has an agenda ready to go. I also have listener-generated questions, two specific listener-generated questions that I wanted to mix in as well. So we'll see what we can get through during our segment. And that will be Meathead from AmazingRibs.com, 14 past then, 35 past the hour. I'll be joined by the other second Tuesday of the month regular guest in the highly coveted 35 past the hour segment. He is the contributing editor to Southern Living Magazine, the author of the Q Sheet, a food critic, and the list goes on. Robert Moss joins us, robertfmoss.com, his website. If you would remember, you know what? I'm going to hold off on saying what I'm about to say because I don't want to screw the pooch here. 
However, things that we will be talking about tonight include yet another take on rice and the Carolinias. We'll also be talking about the Barbecue Hall of Fame, uh, not who's in and the things like this. Specifically, Robert had a take on the Impact Award. I touched base with it, Adrian Miller, last week, and he had some additional thoughts that he would like to get out in regards to the unsung black barbecue cook, so we'll give him some time to do that. We'll also talk about barbecue side dishes, and we'll talk about what it's like to actually meet up, meet, M-E-A-T, or M-E-E-T, meet up with the one and only Daniel Vaughn when you're making a trek through Texas. Meathead, lucky enough to do that when he was down in Fort Worth during the NBBQA conference a month ago or so, and following that up quickly was Robert Moss. So we'll talk to Robert Moss all about that, and that will bring close of the first hour, and then we'll move to the second hour. As we mentioned many times here over the last number of weeks, there is a new class of Barbecue Hall of Famers, and the first to make his interview appearance on this show, the guy responsible for spawning a generation of competition barbecuers and bringing barbecue television to the great unwashed John Marcus will be joining me through the balance of the second hour. So we'll talk, obviously, in the lead about Barbecue Hall of Fame getting in. He, like Meathead and a number of others, three times on the finalist list before he got over the threshold and inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I figured with the balance of the time, which I'm going to curtail a little bit of the Hall of Fame stuff because there probably isn't too much to get into other than being thankful, blah, blah, blah. I want to do an origin story, respark that a little bit, do an origin story of John Marcus. So if you don't know his story, where he grew up, siblings, life, before he got into the big city, before he bought the 896-acre farm in upstate New York as well, you will learn all about the young John Marcus and then the college life John Marcus and the budding professional writer John Marcus before getting into what you know him for bringing barbecue TV to the masses. So looking forward to spending the second hour with John Marcus. There could be some bonus time in there as well. John has certainly had occasion to want to sit down and chat from time to time. So looking forward to doing all of that. So Meathead and Robert Moss in the first hour and John Marcus in your second hour. You can follow me socially if you prefer. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappers at BBQ Central Show. Live video feeds, Facebook and Twitch slash bbq central show over on facebook you can find a video feed as well on an active chat role slash rd rempy and live audibly on the clubhouse app as well and we have a few listeners in there some of the clubhouse regulars as it were so let's start here tonight many of you were concerned over the past number of weeks asking if the quote-unquote show karma has become a thing of the past or has somehow changed given the events and results of the 2022 Memphis and May World Barbecue Championships. Well, I never doubted it, not even for a second, because it always works. In fact, I would go so far to say that it never doesn't work, and we can chalk Memphis and May up to a mere anomaly. Why? Because Adrian Miller was on the show one week ago this evening, and then what happened this past weekend? He went over to the James Beard Award and won the James Beard Award for Book of the Year. 
Yes, indeedy. Feed the needy. Show karma proving once again that like sex, it remains undefeated when going up against the competition. So doubters, shame on you. And I happily welcome you back to the right side of the show karma train as we roll along this karmatic highway all aboard. <laughs> Notwithstanding that. Because this is a craze sweeping the nation. Pam from Sumter, South Carolina, sent me a few pictures. And pervs, get your mind out of the gutter. Here's the first picture. Let me show you. Well, look at here. Salsa e limon. Mexican grill. What could the second picture possibly be of? Chori Pollo, that's right. If this culinary craze gets any hotter, we're going to have to call it Chori Pollo and Fuego. In Sumter, South Carolina, Chori Pollo runs you $11.25, a little on the high side. But a classic recipe, chicken breast grilled, topped with charita sausage and cheese dip. Served with rice, beans, side of tortilla, and away you go. Chori Pollo, once again proving that it is its own force of nature. No matter how much Sam the Cooking Guy took a heaping shit all over it almost two years ago. It is now sweeping the nation. Minnesota, Ohio, South Carolina, North Carolina, the upper Mideast also carrying it. You can't deny it. You can't deny how awesome it is. A little bit of listener feedback before we get to Meathead. Doug in Minnesota. Greg, big fan of the show. I've been listening for years. I have to tell you that my interest peaked at the mention of milk cow steaks. I didn't think that was a thing. I actually live in an area that has a number of milk farms, and I wonder if I should be soliciting them for meat. Does Mark Williams have any further info on how to ask for such stuff? You need to do a follow-up on that. Love the show. Regards, Doug. Doug, I can tell you this. While I am no milk cow expert other than just asking Mark Williams about it now twice on the show. Actually, I think the first time he brought it up on his own, but I did follow up with him last week as he sat in place for Malcolm Reed. The dairy cows that he's eating are A, being retired from the milking, and secondly, are being fed out to increase the marbling and the flavor. I think if you just went up to a milk cow, slaughtered it, and then took its meat, you would be in for a rather large disappointment from what I am to understand. If you go to Malcolm Reed's most recent podcast, he does talk about eating milk steaks that Mark procured, and the prevailing thought is that these things are fed out for a certain period of time in order to make them more palatable. Plenty of other feedback to get to if needed. Meathead is in the green room, so we will stand by for him. So I have to lead with this. I'm going to talk to you about Oklahoma Joe. What do we love here? I was having issues with the DLX 1200. We all know about this. We worked through customer service. They sent a new grill out. I had to assemble it again, which two in a row for me. I'm becoming quite handy. And the bottom line is this. Got it together, filled it with pellets charged the pellet pot with some extra pellets, the burn pot, if you will. Fired it up, went through the pre-light, lit, no problems, no error codes, did the burn in, 
It was great. I have a picture or I did a story of that on Instagram. And then we put the rubber to the road. My sister-in-law contracted me to do a pork butt cook for my nephew's, I'm sorry, for my niece's high school graduation this past Saturday. Three pork butts go on Friday night, set at 225, nice and low. Let them roll overnight, checked them around 7 o'clock in the morning. Color was right where I wanted it, wrapped them up and brought them to finish, took them off around noon. This thing held temperature great. The pellet consumption was at the minimum. We're obviously in a little bit more of a warmer thermal cycle here. We're not in the midst of winter anymore. But pellet use was minimal. Temperature was dead on. Had a nice thin blue smoke rolling out of the dual stacks. And there's not a huge amount of tech on here other than having that nice big LCD screen. You can set your temperatures real easily. There's a bunch of internal meat probes if you want to use those, but I just use my visual tactics and my thermopen to figure out where I want to be. And I'm not even shooting for temperature, it's just by feel. And the Oklahoma Joe's Rider DLX came through like a champ. Now what I'm really excited about is using the sear feature for steaks. Hopefully I get to that this weekend. Find out more by visiting oklahomajoes.com. That's oklahomajoes.com. And we're back with Meathead right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them with questions 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My next guest is the creator of the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website in all the land, nay, the globe. And he is here to visit once again on the second Tuesday of a month. And we race to the hotline and welcome back our good pal, Meathead. Hey, Meathead. Hello, Greg, and hello, Centralites. We are happy to have you once again, I know I want to get it out front. I want to get ahead of it in case it happens. You had stormatic and tornadic activity. There's been yeah. a few bits of internet drops here or there. We have some uh, stop gaps in place. However, just in case something goes on, never fear. Meathead and I are well aware of what might happen, but we're going to press through this evening because we have an important topic to talk about, which came up during the combustion talk last month as we continue the meathead science talk or science talk with meathead uh, that we do here. So tonight we're talking about charcoal. It is really its own hot point. You have staunch pundits for briquettes. You have staunch pundits for uh, lump charcoal. You have new types of charcoal that have entered the market that, that maybe aren't more readily known, like the charcoal logs that B&B Charcoal makes that 
uh, I find to be a fairly useful product in certain situations. So let me ask you, as the expert here this evening, where do we start on charcoal? Should we get a little history on it and uh, know of its evolution, or where do you want to go? Well, before I dive into charcoal, this is the first time we've talked yeah. since the Hall of Fame announcements. But Mito, put the I microphone up to your face. Come on. What are we doing? First time on the show? <laughs> I don't think that microphone's on. Yeah, it is. Tap is it. it not on? Tap it. No, it's not. I'm getting your uh, getting your computer speak. Outrageous. Look at that. Not even plugged in. Is that going to take? Hmm. See what happens when the cord falls out? All sorts of shenanigans. Ah. How's that? Uh, so probably what you're going to have to do is uh, X out of the browser and come back in. How do we sound now? No, it's the same. Uh, you're going to need to close out of the browser and then come back in is what's going to have to happen. That's all right. Don't worry about it. We're all here. We're all friends. I'll just talk about Chori Pollo for 45 more seconds while you X out and X back in. Test, test. Oh, much better. Come on. Um, this is what happens when you lose internet. We had tornadoes come through here, and we lost internet. We lost power. We lost everything. We're well, back. Okay. Right. Before we dive into charcoal, I just yeah. have to say a word or three about the Hall of Fame. All right. Because um, I get to vote now that I'm in. That's right. And uh, uh, for, fortunately, everybody I voted for got in this year. Okay. But you did not even make the nomination cut, and that's a travesty. <laughs> and um, no, I'm saying this not because we're buddies and because I'm a regular guest. I'm in. I don't have to suck up to you anymore. That's right. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's nobody who does what you do. You're the only one of any consequence. Uh, maybe Jeff Tracy is out there because he has a, a over-the-air radio show. How dare you? How dare you, me? You're that. all alone in this field. And the idea that you didn't even make the finalist list. And what we've got to do is when the nominations come out again, we got to get everybody to nominate you. We got to get you in. What's really shocking is everybody who's on the panel yeah. is a regular on your show. Robert Moss, you're coming up next. That guy right there. You know? oh, oh, there he is. Yeah. We're not going <laughs> to let him talk, but that's him right there. <laughs> Daniel Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys, uh, we got to get you in. Okay, charcoal, charcoal. Um, well, let, let's talk briefly about what charcoal is. It starts out as wood, um, but uh, you know they, they've been making it for centuries. I mean, it was used for smeltering, for melting steel. Um, basically what it is, is you take wood and you put it in a low oxygen environment and you, you let it burn and smolder. And what happens is, is a lot of the volatile compounds and the stinky stuff burns off and you end up with a compound that has more energy potential than wood and it's lighter weight and burns longer. Um, and so it's just been a great tool for industry and of course for backyard cooking for years. And um, uh, the history of charcoal in America and for barbecue uh, there's a direct line from Henry Ford, the uh, automobile manufacturer, and his, I think it was his cousin, um, uh, Ellsworth's lawyer, and uh, another guy named Kingsford, 
because Ford, when they were building cars, a lot of the cars were made out of wood. And they're trimming the wood and sanding the wood. And there's a lot of sawdust. And Henry just hated wasting sawdust. And so they came up with this technique for turning sawdust into little pillows of charcoal. And then it became an industry. They named it Kingsford. And um, they even, they even, Ford was even selling barbecue grills for a long time. <laughs> and he and a bunch of his buddies went on cross country trips. Because in those days, roads weren't paved, and the idea of going cross-country and camping, glamping, they were doing glamping. They had their servants and butlers come with them, and they would use their Kingsford charcoal. So that's you know where it starts. Um, today, as you pointed out, the big debate is, is briquette versus lump. And so let's just talk about the differences between the two. Um, briquettes tend to be made from um, sawdust and or wood trimmings uh, that are ground up and then burned in these retorts. It's a uh, like a giant pressure cooker uh, with very low oxygen until it turns into what they call char. And that's what charcoal basically is made out of char and uh, it pure, almost pure carbon. And um, uh, then they have to try to make it into something that is compressed. They compress it into these little pillows, like, you know, the briquettes. Um, and uh, the problem with it, with that is, is these, this char doesn't want to stick to itself. So there you go. There's a briquette. Thank you. Um, Greg's showing pictures of briquettes. That's a Kingsford briquette. There's a little key in there. Um, and uh, the problem is they don't stick together neatly. So they use cornstarch or other starch materials as a binder. Um, and uh, th there are other additives that they often add that help it release from the mold, help it ignite faster, help it burn better. But they're all relatively unobnoxious natural products, but they are additives. Now, on the other side of the coin, there is lump charcoal. And lump charcoal, wow, Greg is on top of it. He's showing a picture of a piece of lump charcoal, which is basically a hunk of wood that's been chunked up or chopped up, and it's been carbonized or turned into char, and um, it will burn on its own. They don't have to grind it into a powder. They don't have to compress it into a pillow. It doesn't need any additives. It has some issues. Um, uh, it has to be carbonized thoroughly. Um, if it's not carbonized thoroughly, if there's still lignin and, and cellulose and other compounds in the center, you'll see it snap, crackle, pop, and it will generate a lot of smoke. Now, my attitude is, is I'm a control freak. And anybody who's listened to me over the years talking to you, and we always get into technology and the science, is I'm a control freak. I want to run the show, not to have the show run me. And I don't want smoke from unknown sources. I don't know what's inside of that lump and even the best lumps. And I, some of them are the size of softball. And you open a bag of lump and you get a, some the size of softball and some the thighs, size of a thumbnail. And so they burn unevenly. There's a ton of dust in those bags. Uh, you get the snap, crackle, pop. You get a lot more smoke. Now, that's the smoke is nice. It does flavor it but I would rather have smoke from a known source. In my world, charcoal is for heat and heat only. 
and wood is for flavor. So in my world, I'm going to use charcoal briquettes. And one of the reasons I like briquettes is because a charcoal chimney, the Weber chimney, which is your industry standard, holds 80 briquettes. And that's a known quantity. That's an entity of energy. Half a chimney is 40 briquettes. So I can control how much energy. It's like turning the dial on your stove. I can control how much energy I'm getting from a chimney. So I light the chimney and I get the charcoal fully ignited, covered with ash, and that says it's fully ignited. Now, a lot of people say that the additives give it funny flavors, but I don't think it's the additives that give it funny flavors. And I think the problem is also with lump. It, it's when it's not fully combusted. We mm. talked about combustion last week and how while wood is starting to burn, it emits a lot of gases that create funky smells and flavors. Well, so does charcoal. So you want to get it fully ignited. Now, this causes some problems if you're using something we like to call the minion method. And the minion method is where you're going to take a big pile of unlit charcoal, you're going to dump some lit charcoal on top, and it's like a fuse. The lit charcoal catches the unlit charcoal on fire. And when it does, it will give off these combustion gases, which I personally can't taste. And I got a pretty good palate. I think we've talked, I've bragged, I won wine tasting championships <laughs> in a previous life. I don't notice it, but I hear people, and I trust these people. I think they can taste it. it we, we, everybody's sense of smell and taste is different. We have our, what they call anosmias, uh, blind spots. And um, I, I just don't notice it, but I know other people do. So the key is to get the charcoal fully lit. Now, there is a whole new generation of charcoal out there that is just, uh, the briquettes rather, that are out there that is just hardwood and a little cornstarch. No other additives, no borax and stuff, which you find in Kingsford Blue Bag, um, um, which is not, which I think is, a, is innocent. Um, but, um, uh, you know, if you're concerned about having something natural, and I think that's part of the appeal of lump charcoal. It looks like wood. It look, I mean, it looks like tree branches. It, you know, it's chunks. It looks natural. And I think it appeals to a lot of us who are given to um, organic foods and natural foods. It just feels more natural. Um, but um, I, I don't think it's a heck of a lot more natural. And I think it, it, it briquettes give you more control than, than lump does. So I lean towards the briquettes. Now there's this new generation of briquettes that are just hardwood and some cornstarch. And there's even a few, let me just pull up a little note here. I was making a note in re, in, in prime, pr prior to this conversation here. Um, for example, like Kingsford um, Blue Bag, which is the most popular charcoal and which is usually on sale in May and June. So you wanna get down to the uh, hardware stores and take a look because it's often really a deep discounts right now. Um, Kingsford Original Blue Bag um, has um, uh, anthracite coal, which is just a pure coal. It's just carbon. Yep. It does, it's, it's nothing to be scared of, um, but it's really high-density coal, a lot of energy. Um, also, some mineral charcoal, which is, again, pure coal, um, uh, uh, cornstarch, uh, sodium nitrate, which is what you've got in ham and hot dogs, uh, limestone, uh, uh, which is... Uh, you know, marine organisms uh, like in coral and, and some borax. So there, you know, these all help with the manufacturing and the, and the ignition process. 
But um, Kingsford does make a 100% natural hardwood briquette that they claim is all hardwood, no additives. Mm. B&B Competition Oak Briquettes also claims no additives. Wicked Good 100% all natural hardwood briquettes claims to have only cornstarch as a binder. And Royal Oak all natural hardwood charcoal briquettes claim to be only char and vegetable starch, they call it. And then Franklin charcoal briquettes post oak hardwood and natural starch binders. So there's this new generation of charcoals with minimal additives to them. Uh, if those things bother you and concern you. Is there a way but to think, hold those people to the fire other than just saying it? Is there a way to test that or is there a no, regulation? No. And that's really an interesting, Greg, that's a brilliant question. There's, there's no regulation on this stuff. There's no way to tell whether it's hardwood. And, you know, this is one of the things that concerns me about uh, lump in particular. When I open a bag of lump, I can see pieces of lumber in there. I mean, you know, you can see it's like pieces of one by two and two by four, all squared off and all charred. Now, the question is, is what's the source of this? If they're tearing down old buildings and using the studs and the lumber in an old building, a lot of them had um, uh, anti-termite and insect control. They used poisons. Um, they used um, uh, scary stuff in there. And so I'm concerned about some of this stuff. Also, my readers have been sending me pictures of things they find in the bags of lump charcoal. And we have pictures of plastic, of nylon rope, of computer parts, metal. So, I, I mean, it sounds like I'm on the Kingsford payroll, but I'm not. I just, I just like the control that briquettes give me. And I like to get these with minimum uh, amount of additives. And I'm not alone. Um, uh, uh, Consumer Reports did a, uh, a research project on it, and they came out on the same side as me. They interviewed me, and they agreed with me. And one of the best things I've come across, I was talking to a bunch of really good competition people. Harry Sue of Slap Your Daddy Barbecue. I think he's a guest on your show occasionally. Occasionally. Um, he, he's one of the top competitors year in and year out. He told me, I buy whatever's on sale. And Mike Wozniak of QOW, he's, he's recently retired, but he was the 2010 Kansas City Barbecue Society Team of the Year winner, and he scored a lot of big money competitions. He says, I cook with whatever brand the competition sponsor is giving away for free. Charcoal is for heat, wood is for flavor. Um, so this, this obsession over lump versus uh, briquettes, I think what's far more important is the quality of your meat, the quality of your rub. Are you able to control temperature, um, your fire control, your smoke source control, your um, sauces, um, the temperature that you take the meat off at, all the stuff that you do far more. Remember, we're dealing with an orchestra of flavors, many instruments, and charcoal is just one. Um, and I think almost all the other instruments are far more important. Obsessing over charcoal, I think, is a, a lot of wasted energy. Meathead joining us from AmazingRibs.com. So you answered probably unknowingly the first question that I had about Minion Method and how that's different from lighting up everything and having everything ignite properly. So the second listener-generated question I have comes in from Bob in Tulsa, who says, can one really taste a difference from oak, hickory, mesquite, or pecan charcoal while grilling a steak for 10 minutes or so 
Love the show, Bob in Tulsa. Well, that's a loaded question because there's lots of parts to it. Um, I can't taste the difference. And I certainly, now we're talking about charcoal, but if I can smell the difference in wood. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm going to, if somebody throws cherry wood on a fire and somebody else throws hickory wood on the fire and they're right side by, I can smell one and the other. Yes. I can't taste the difference though. When they're done cooking, for some reason or other, it may just be my anosmia. I cannot tell the difference in taste, but boy, I can sure smell the difference. Hickory, um, a lot of those woods, particularly the uh, mesquite, have really strong aromas. I can smell them. In charcoal, no, you can't, especially if they're fully ignited. And then the other part of the question is cooking a steak. Now, we both know that you're going to cook a thin steak really hot and fast. So it's not really exposed to smoke for long. Now, if you really are concerned, you want to get some, this is the one occasion when I'll use lump, Mm. is I may use lump for a thin steak, like a skirt steak or even a a flank steak, because they're, they're going to cook hot and fast. I do want some smoke. I'll throw some wood on there, but lump does smoke more than charcoal does. And so I'll, you know, or even a fish fillet or something. I might use lump for those. But in general, I'm a, I'm a briquette guy. And um, again, for me, charcoal is for um, energy, for heat, and wood is for flavor. And uh, I, I fiddle with all the different kinds of woods. And that's a whole other topic. We talked about combustion last week, uh, last month. But can you really taste the difference in all the woods? Ah, there's a tough one. I'm going to ask you and or show you this picture, and I want your take on it. You're going to think I'm baiting you before we get to Robert Moss. You're always baiting me. I know. If if there's a pineapple in this picture, I'm hanging up right now. Is this safe to cook? Ah, there is a pineapple. But look at this thing. It's a full pineapple. It's been cored, obviously, and it's been stuffed with a pork tenderloin. Is this something that you would even remotely think about cooking? Well, that's a pineapple koozie. Um, I mean, gross. (laughs) I love it. All right. We got to give your readers the background here. Uh, uh, About a year ago, uh, you asked me what my favorite thing to cook was, and I said, Pineapple. I just love pineapple on the grill. The sugar's caramelized again. I'm a sweet freak. I love my sweets. Um, and so I've been get, getting unmitigated grief. Every time anybody has a picture of pineapple like this, they throw it at me. Um, uh, and tonight, <laughs> my wife gave me this. Tonight, we had an omelet for dinner. And um, I had, I have, I have some Oregon morels. And uh, she wanted me to put them on a steak, and I forgot to defrost some steaks. She wanted me to run out to the grocery and buy it, and I was too lazy. And so we just made a marvelous omelet, and I sat there in the middle, and I said, you know, this omelet's better than a steak. And she says, you better not tell Rempy that. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's going to make another video cartoon. <laughs> well, Meathead eating an omelet. I'm certainly a fan a of omelets, uh, no oh, doubt about yeah, it. Yeah. But like, so when you see that, like, is that, uh, honestly, I mean, can you cook that safely? Is that, uh, and is it going to well, be good I mean, it, to safety standards? Safety is internal temperature. And, yeah. you know, that, that pork needs to be cooked to a safe temperature. And, uh, uh, you know, in general, it should be in the 135 to 145 range. Yeah. Um, it's it's whole muscle meat, so interior is generally pretty safe. 
Um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. The fun thing about it is, um, is that um, the pineapple contains um, enzymes that are really good at tenderizing meat. Mm -hmm. So my gut instinct, but it really is only going to get at the surface. It's not going to go deep. I think it's a fun thing to try. You're going to probably have to cook the hell out of it to get that meat cooked um, uh, to a safe temperature. But it just looks like great fun, you know, and uh, I'm not sure I'm going to run out and try it tomorrow, though. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, If you have any other questions on charcoal or combustion, we might take up that smoke, flavor, and aroma thing uh, next month, but we'll talk about that off air. You can go to AmazingRibs.com where everybody else goes for all of their barbecue and grilling information, and you can see Meathead right here on the second Tuesday of every month. Meathead, always appreciate the time. Yes. One last word. Yes. We mentioned the word omelets. Yeah. I do more than grill, and I have, I'll challenge anybody to make a better omelet than I can. I have a secret, Mm. and it's not a secret anymore. My recipe is on the website. Go to AmazingRibs.com, search for omelet, and try my omelet recipe. There's a secret ingredient, and it's just effing awesome. Mm. All right. Meathead, always appreciate the time. Oh, fun talking to you as always, Greg. There he is. Meathead right there. So not only go to the website for the barbecue and grilling info, if you're a fan of omelets, and who's not? Go to the website, amazingribs.com, and then search for omelet recipe. And then check out Meathead's omelet recipe. Make it, and then give me feedback through the course of the month, and then we will let him know it's a winner or it's a loser. Robert Moss is ready to go. We'll get them here in just one second. Yoder Smokers is designing and building all of their pits right here in the States, building pride through craftsmanship, world-class customer service. That's the backbone of how they've built the company. This approach translates into what can be a truly bespoke-style product that elevates gatherings with friends and family. Honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America. From pellet grills to wood-fueled offset pits and charcoal grills, consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with the Yoder Smokers name. Make no mistake. Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit, and the team has developed their cookers to perform time and time again while outlasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in the handmade products and defines the integrity of the core values, American-made quality, and endless flavor, the benchmarks of Yoder Smoker's. Visit them at yodersmokers.com and grab yours today. We are back with Robert Moss right after the stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And we thank Meathead for joining us last segment from AmazingRibs.com. The portion of the show being brought to you by... Cookinpellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit Cookinpellets.com for more information or to purchase or to see what other products they have to make your food a little bit more smoky. My next guest, the contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine, also authors the Q Sheet, restaurant critic, and the list goes on. Let's race to the Oklahoma Joe's Smokers Hotline and welcome back friend of the show, Robert Moss. Hey, Robert. 
Hey, Greg. So are you a charcoal, uh, lump charcoal or a briquette charcoal guy? I, I have bags of both in my, my garage right now. And like Meathead, I'm not as uh, dogmatic about either one. I tend to go back and forth. I tend mm-hmm. to use uh, briquettes when I'm doing something like a the hamburgers and steak. Nice sort of easy, even heat. I think it holds heat well. I tend to use lump if I'm like, you know, doing more barbecue kind of stuff. But I'll, I'll use whichever one I have on hand. And I'll, I'll, I'd love to have the time to actually go do a little, you know, empirical side-by-side testing because I'm, I'm sort of suspicious that people can really tell that much of a difference, hmm. you know, in flavor and all that. So, so I'll go either way. Um, and it sort of depends <laughs> like some of the, uh, competition cooks that Meathead was talking about, you know, whatever's on sale. I, I tend to go with that. Adrian Miller was on the show last week. He was on a rice junket. A guy from Denver evidently had a passion to find out more about rice. And here we come to find out that South Carolina has quite a rich, rice tradition and it's a certain kind of rice and maybe it's making some kind of a emergence across the nation or maybe it's just continually local there but uh, you seem to be pretty familiar with it so what's your rice take yeah well i listened to last week's show with with adrian i was a little surprised at first i was like what these guys don't know anything about rice and i realized that um (laughs) when i moved to charleston back in 2002 having grown up all the way up uh you know, up in Greenville, South Carolina, or less, I almost, I knew that almost nothing about rice either. Um, and it's just such a part of Charleston's history since then I've sort of gotten absorbed in it. Um, you know, really rice was the first cash crop of the South of the Carolina colony. It made the fortunes, made Charleston the, the wealthiest, uh, country and uh, wealthiest city in, in the colonies. And, um, Joe, for years, for for decades, Carolina gold rice was sort of the prize variety that was grown in the low country of South Carolina. Um, and if you look at all, if you come visit Charleston and you go visit all the, the mansions in downtown Charleston or, or, or the, a lot of the plantations uh, surrounding Charleston, that was all built upon rice. The for, those fortunes were built upon rice and, of course, upon uh, forced slave labor. Um, so there's a, a definitely a dark side to, to, the, to the history. But, um, you know, in the... In South Carolina, the, the rice industry continued straight through the 19th century, even after the Civil War, though it was in decline uh, after the Civil War. Uh, around the turn of the 20th century, it got eclipsed by uh, rice growing in Texas and Louisiana, mm. uh, thanks to the rise of tractors and, and uh, mechanical agriculture. And in South Carolina, rice was grown in swamps, in uh, rice paddy or rice marshes, rice fields that were flooded. Um, in Texas, Louisiana, it was it was dry dry rice, and with uh, tractors, you can't really take a tractor into a, a flooded rice field in, in the Carolinas. So um, the rice industry was a huge decline, and then a series of hurricanes in the early 20th century sort of wiped it out. So we had about a hundred years where there was no rice grown in the Carolinas at all. Mm. Uh, but there were a few um, farmers in the eight, 1980s, 1990s who found some old Carolina gold rice seed in like these seed banks, and have since started grow you know started sort of growing these little seed plots and since a, a rice industry has reemerged and if so you can buy carolina gold rice and some other hybrids based upon carolina gold today and it's very different than the long grain rice that you would get you know from a hot bar or whatever at, at the grocery store so certainly rice has a huge uh role in the carolina cooking and after like a, about a century of, of virtually disappearing from uh altogether it's starting to make a, a resurgence about 10 years ago a lot of the chefs in charleston restaurants really dug into 
or really started, you know, adopting Carolina gold rice. And so now if you go around the city's restaurants, you can find Carolina gold on, on menus just about everywhere, along with a lot of the old classic rice dishes from the, the 19th century. He had mentioned a particular name that I can't recall off the top of my head, but I visited the website and found that you could buy it right online, uh, smaller boxes all the way up to maybe a two or a, a five pound bag. I don't know cost wise, what's a good price or what's a bad price, uh, but I just know the minute rice or the Ben's yep. rice that I would typically get up here in Ohio. Is it worth the splurge? And is there that big of yeah, a difference? Yeah, well, it, it, I, I think it is. Uh, I think um, Adrian's probably talking about Anson Mills, which is a, one of the, the first producers. Um, Glenn Roberts runs that. It's, so they, they, they brought back a lot of these 19th century uh, heirloom grains. You know, it's, it's considerably more expensive, I would say, percentage matter, probably two to three X as expensive as just like a, a, a bag of commodity rice, but you're still talking about five or six bucks for a bag of rice. So you're not really breaking the bank to, to get it. Uh, it cooks differently. Um, your, your typical rice that you, you would just get where you throw in a pot and boil it for 20 minutes in water is a long grain rice. Uh, Carolina gold and some of those other rices are either medium or short grain. So they, they cook very differently. Um, and then if you actually go back to the old cookbooks, there's a whole different method of cooking rice. So if you ever heard of purlu or pilau or however you, people say it different ways, it's one of the classic uh, Carolina rice dishes, similar to, it, it's actually related to rice pilaf and a lot of other rice dish, uh, dishes from around anywhere where the, the African di diaspora, which was the, the slave trade, uh, took, took rice growing and, and rice cooking uh, people. But it, if you cook it, it's a different way of cooking rice where you're basically steaming it and then allowing it to, to soak and then sit as opposed to just sort of you know, boiling or simmering it for 20 minutes. And it fluffs up with very differently. And it's sort of a, a barbecue connection because not only do we have hashed rice here in South Carolina, which mm -hmm. reflects our rice history, but if you go to a lot of um, barbecue joints in the PD, you'll see a thing called uh, chicken bog which is a rice dish made with chicken and onions and things sort of, uh, sort of steamed inside of it. And that's actually a descendant of Perlou and is a classic South Carolina barbecue delicacy. And the difference is you're actually cooking the meat and the onions and all the spices with the rice all together. So it's a one pot dish, not something where you add mix in rice or mix in you know, meat to rice later on. Robert Moss joining us here on the show. You can subscribe to his Q sheet. Also, Visit his website, robertfmoss.com, to see what he has going on. So as I had mentioned, we had Adrian Miller on last week. We were talking about the James Beard nominee, which ended up turning into award over the weekend for <laughs> the book Black Smoke. The Barbecue Hall of Fame has its inaugural Impact Award this year, the Unsung Black Barbecue Cooks. I told Adrian last week that as I was hearing it initially, it smacked a bit of laziness to me. Uh, like, hey, we're just going to say it. We're going to wash out a whole bunch. We don't really have to do any more digging than that. And we're going to feel all real good about ourselves. And he spent some time telling me why that's actually not the case. And you said you wanted to jump in and further add some commentary on that. So go ahead and have at it. Yeah, I just thought there was an interesting conversation, and I, I thought Adrian's answer was fine, and and, and I have no, no issue with the way he answered it. I, the uh, the laziness part sort of was what stuck in my craw a little bit. Um, not so much because you know, I can see how you might think that at first. It's like, okay, we don't want to bother to go you know track these individuals down and and recognize them. So we'll just sort of you know everyone's a winner, right? Everybody gets a medal, right? Um, which is not the case at all. You know, and um, you know Adrian's book, entire entire book, Black Smoke, which I, I have here. So congratulations. Uh, Adrian for the the Beard Award, a, a big, uh, you very much deserved, and, and you know it's a great 
victory for barbecue, I think, to have a, yeah, indeed. Uh, a barbecue history uh, get recognized that way. Um, but Eddie and I both have sort of a passion for going back to the 19th century and trying to, we, we've worked very hard to try to uh, figure out who these uh, unknown and unsung barbecue cooks were. Um, Adrian did track down a guy named Columbus Hill, yep. um, who he writes about to, in, in to a good bit in Black Smoke. In the latest version, my revised version of my barbecue history, I tracked down a couple of guys who I, I, did, I didn't have in the first edition. One was named Augustus Ferguson. The other was named Pickens Wells. Both are from Augusta, Georgia. But these were just a couple of examples of people we know were there in the 19th century, but didn't really you, you know, get... They, they got a little bit, they got, they were famous in their day, but famous locally where they, they live. They didn't really get captured very much in the historical record. And uh, I spent a long time trying to track down these guys going back to genealogy records and just really, there's very little scraps to, to, to base upon. And, um, you know, one of the ways this award came about was we, we in independent discussions, we were talking about ways to recognize, we had lots of nominations coming in from various uh, for various individuals who, when you look at them, they really were a part of a larger group. Like they, they didn't necessarily have like, indiv- you know, them, themselves were, uh, they were less important for, for their individual efforts as, as being part of a group. Um, and so then in a different conversation, we were sort of talking about, you know, trying to look at the barbecue hall of fame a little more his- holistically. I already has this little metaphor I use, which is like, let's imagine we have a physical hall of fame. You sort of walking through like the museum exists uh, exhibit and you have pictures over here and pictures over there and uh, with little plaques and you're saying, here's this person, here's this famous, this, this famous person. And so are you telling the story of barbecue from the beginnings up all the way up till today? And this is particularly of interest for us with the legacy awards, which are people who, who've since passed away. And, you know, at some point, I think, I think it's me, somebody made a comment. It's like, well, the problem is if when you back in the 19th century, you, you would have all these pictures, but you have no idea who the names are. We actually have lots of these pictures in books of, uh, and mostly black men holding shovels and, and mops over pits, but we don't know who they are. And uh, so we've put a lot of effort into trying to track them down. We've tracked down a few names, but we, we felt that that was a good group of individuals to give the initial impact award. Because a they they deserve it. They the, these are the 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 men, the men and mostly men, some some women who define the tradition and who who carried it through through the 20, 20th century. But also, um, you know, it's it, it's it's a group of people who who deserve recognition, and we finally get to to flesh that out. So a similar answer to, to Adrian's. I take a little bit different angle to it and say, you know, we've it's not for lack of trying. It's because and actually, I think this came out of the the amount of effort we put into and frustration that we, the walls we hit trying to figure out, you know, who were these people who really helped shape the bar, the American barbecue tradition, whose names we, we no longer know. We know you're a big South Carolina barbecue guy. You've written a lot about it. You know, probably more than anybody about that subject. And then you take a travel over to Texas, which obviously has been flexing all over the barbecue scene over, I mean, forever, of course, but it seems to have really, come to a, uh, a a rise here over the last uh, 10, 12, 15 years, uh, obviously with Franklin, and then the list goes on from there. What did you find with your Texas barbecue travels? Uh, does it meet expectation? Yeah. Is it a little overblown at this point? Well, I will say, I'm on point, this is not my first trip to, to eat barbecue sure. in Texas, but uh, I did recently get back. Um, and you're, and I would say it's about been about 10, maybe 12 years now, really since Aaron Franklin blew up uh, uh, big, that the Texas barbecue sort of took uh, took the American, uh, you know, 
uh, imagination by storm. Um, so I did a lot of travels in Texas. You know, I've been doing the top 50 list for Southern living for, for quite a while now. So I did a lot of travels in Texas, you know, up pre pandemic. And then I'm finally getting back and, and going and visiting places and, and things have, have really changed. Well, some things have changed a lot uh, and some things haven't. Um, one thing, you know, certainly starting with Aaron Franklin, but really in the last five years, the craft barbecue scene in Texas has just exploded. Um, you know, is someone from uh, South Carolina. The problem with Texas is it's so darn big and there's so many barbecue joints there. It's hard to really do it justice. Uh, but on this last trip, um, I would echo something. I think you know, Daniel Vaughn has said in, you know, in his top 50 and other, other writing, which is it used to be uh, five, 10 years ago um, when Daniel and others were driving around Texas and, and judging brisket, judging barbecue, they were pretty much just looking at brisket saying who has the best brisket. That was sort of their, their yardstick. Um, and I, that I'm not first this person to say this, but I, I would agree with Daniel and others that now having good brisket is just sort of, well, that's just where table stakes, right? You know, it's just, if you don't have good brisket, you're, you, you know, you're, you, you might as well just not, you know, not have a, a roof on the, on the building or something like that. You know, the brisket is all uniformly good <laughs> throughout Texas. And there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people have really upped their games. I think what's interesting now, at least interesting to me is, um, you know, by the time you drive from, you know, Waco to, to Austin, and you eat two pieces of brisket. It's hard to really say this was better than that one. Or, or remember, there's so many other interesting things that are going on. Pitmasters are now trying to um, sort of separate themselves from it, from everybody else by doing something creative and different. So um, what I find more interesting is not the the Texas trinity of brisket ribs and and, and sausage because almost everyone's doing that well. But it's what else are they doing? Whether beets they're doing. And then I know you want to talk probably a little bit about side dishes. This trip, oddly enough, I find my I found myself like taking two bites of brisket and saying, that's great. And then really digging into like the beans or the mac and cheese or whatever, because I think another thing that everyone's doing to try to elevate their game, side dishes are no longer an afterthought. It's sort of how they distinguish themselves. So um, the side dishes are getting really, really good. And dessert and the, the desserts are as well. I've just, so I love side dishes. However, I feel that if I'm going to a barbecue restaurant, I'm more than happy to have the stars of the show shine and stand out. And I don't care about the sides. I'm never going to go to a barbecue restaurant. And maybe this shows my overall lack of maturity <laughs> of going and traveling to a lot of barbecue places. But I, I, I probably won't think to order sides unless it's either a banana pudding, which is one of my favorite desserts of all time and is Really a measuring stick of a barbecue restaurant, I guess, not to be too contradictory or hypocritical. But everything else in between, uh, good beans, okay, uh, Cole's Love, you know, uh, all these other things, uh, real chefy type sides. I mean, I don't care about that. I want great brisket. I want great ribs. I want great sausage if we're talking about Texas. But even in some of the other places, I want the stars of the show to be the stars of the show. I don't want the supporting cast to have me walking away going, yeah, I mean, the brisket was good, but man, that uh, brisket empanada was blowing my mind. Uh, to me, that seems total uh, counterintuitive to what this whole thing's about. 
No, I'd say it's like, that's like going to the Broadway show and saying, yeah, you know, okay, as long as the lead actor or the lead you know, person can sing great and is really engaging, I don't care if the rest of the cast is just sort of tripping over themselves. Um, you know, a really great show, the the, the bit players, the, the small players play, you know, really, really add into the, the whole experience. And I'm increasingly about the, the whole experience. Um, and certainly, you know, up until recently, yeah, you know, you had coleslaw, you had like in Carolinas, you, you'll have boiled potatoes or French fries. You know, how, how, how impressed are you going to be by boiled potatoes or, or French fries? But, and they're more just something to, to fill, fill your belly. But I think what's happening is, you know, and part of this is because um, here in the Carolinas and, and other parts of this, of the sort of the Eastern South, um, they don't do beans very well. They tend to sweeten them up, put a lot of ketchup and, and molasses and stuff in them. Texas is, you know, very savory beans and they put, they load it up with brisket and smokiness. And, and I just was impressed by all the beans I had there. Increasingly, you're getting things like uh, hash and rice, which I'm a big fan of here in the Carolinas. I had actually hash at, at two different places in, in the, um, uh, in Texas. And it's really a way of, of, of being economical, using up meat. Same thing with beans. You know, the best beans are loaded down with, 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 with meat. Um, some of the things like, you know, um, at Panther City in mm-hmm. Fort Worth, mm-hmm. um, I had this smoked mac and cheese. Now, there's lots of mac and cheese and mac and cheese is good, but I don't know what they did with it. They put it in a pit or something. It was so smoky and rich and excellent. So I think in that in those situations, I mean, yeah, the brisket is great, but that's like saying I want to go to, you know, to to a, a fancy restaurant just having a piece of fish with no sauce or anything else on it well if the sauce is really done well done and or the, the fish is really well done and and there's sauce and there's great you know accompaniments with it it becomes like a you know, a, you know some <laughs> the, the, the some of the parts is you know, the, the whole is greater than some of the parts if you will so i i've been i was really impressed uh coming out of texas with um uh, with two things one was the side dishes but also with a lot of the pork i had some really great pork steaks really great pork chops um, and so that, so those, those guys are doing some interesting things that don't necessarily involve just a big old slab of brisket, uh, on a plate. There's a couple of other things that I want to talk about, but we're out of time now. So we'll push that until next month. In the meantime, make sure you're staying up with the barbecue happenings by subscribing to Robert's Q sheet and also visit his website to see what he's up to. Robert F Robert, always appreciate the time. Oh, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. You got it. There he is, Robert Moss, right All there. All guests appear via the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe Pellet Grills Hotline. So sides are important. Not to me. But the sum is greater than the whole of the parts and the pieces parts. And the sum. Not to be too convoluted. RobertFMoss.com is website and subscribe to the Q sheet. Here's what's happened. Last week, after telling you all this time, the year's almost half over, or you're not doing enough to be in better shape, the list goes on. I emailed David McDowell, our friend, the barbecue expert and the men's health and wellness coach. And I said... Let's do something different. I'm going to sign up and pay my $200 per month and show everybody what this thing's all about. So we are getting ready to have our initial call. I've already started working out again Monday. I said, if the back isn't going to get any better, we're going to start pushing through easy, which I'm starting to do now. Doing some reverse hypers to get the back going. Get it in the right shape. And then after we have... 
our initial call. We're going to set a plan for me, a both workout, and we're going to get those meal plans so I know what to eat, so I can A, lean out. I want to get cut up. I'm not a mass putter-honor guy. My body's just not like that, but if I lose a little bit of weight, which is just going to happen because now I'm going to be active again, but want those muscle striations to really show through and all that fun stuff. He's going to help me do it. He's going to hold me accountable. We're going to have check-ins. If I have any questions, I'm going to email him or I'm going to text message him. He's going to tell me which way to go. I'm going to have that support to keep me accountable in order to reach those health goals. You can do it too, along with me. Go to davidleans.com slash bbq. That's davidleans.com slash bbq to sign up right now. Do it with me. We'll do it together. We'll hold each other accountable. And at 200 bucks a month, are you kidding me? It's nothing. davidleans.com slash bbq. Sign up right now. I'm doing it right now. We'll wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. And we thank Robert Moss for joining us last segment, robertfmoss.com, and sign up for that cue sheet if you want to read the happenings of the live fire industry in his eyes. This segment brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck. Fireboard, fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's 816-945-2232. The good folks over at Fireboard. If you missed the first hour, don't worry. We're recording, and that will be out early tomorrow morning. I'll talk to you about the second hour podcast here in just a moment. We're a little late as we ran over with Robert Moss. So we'll play a little catch up here. Refresh libations and we'll be right back. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. Be right back.